All right, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, last, uh, we recently looked at 1 Corinthians 10 in regard to complaining, you know. Uh, and we're going to look at it anew uh, in another couple verses or so. And I had mentioned, I had a study a few months ago. I don't know, maybe about, I don't know how long ago it was probably about a month and a half, two months ago, and I did, went through 1 Corinthians, and I mentioned that I would be doing a message on 1 Corinthians 10, 13 on temptation, and better late than never, <laughs> here that is, I thought it'd be a good time to bring it in because I just dealt with 1 Corinthians again, and you guys, if you know the context of 1 Corinthians 10, it's, it's very, very heavy, because Paul is dealing with a situation with Corinth where he lets the church know, as in Romans, that idols are nothing unless you worship them. There's demons behind them, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, near the end of this chapter. But he says as far as eating food that's been sacrificed to idols, it in itself is not intrinsically evil. However, you could cause your brother to stumble, and that becomes a concern. So Paul deals with the whole issue of being on that slippery slope and the need to make sure you're not causing your brothers to stumble, and he gives them warnings about idolatry and various sins in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And when you look at the context, in chapter 9 near the end, he talks about he beats his own body down. So after he's preached the gospel to others, that he himself would not be a dokamos in the Greek. Reprobate, cast away, rejected by God. And I mentioned before that Paul uses that word in 2 Corinthians as well. Those who are dokamos, he says, do not have Christ. Chapter 13, verse 5. It's a very severe word. But he continues to press on in the faith. And then in chapter 10, he begins to talk about those who had these incredibly wonderful experiences when they were delivered from uh, Pharaoh and Egypt. And they went to the promised land and they were baptized in the Sea of Moses. And they ate the, the manna which came from heaven, which is a picture of Christ. They drank from the spiritual rock, which is Christ. And they had all these experiences in the prefigurations of Christ. And obviously the Lord being with them. And he says, after they were delivered... You know, a lot of them were wiped out before they got to the promised land. It's pretty heavy. And then he lets us know in verse 6, now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And in case we didn't understand what he's saying there, they kind of just glossed over that part of the message that, hey, I'm stating these things as a warning to you guys because we have even had greater deliverance and we're headed to the promised land. And then in verse 11, he reiterates that, that warning. Now, these things happen to them as an example. God doesn't waste ink, guys, okay? They happen as an example. And uh, now, these things happen to them as an example, and they were written down or written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Verse 12, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. He personally does believe that you can fall away, obviously. But then in verse 13, he gives this incredible word of encouragement. And I want to focus on this word of encouragement in, verse, in basically verse 13 this evening. And I just think it's, it's so helpful for our walks to know how to overcome temptation. Has anybody here ever faced temptation besides me? Am I the only one? All of us do, right? Because look what he says. No temptation has overtaken you. But such as is what? Common to man. It's common. If someone says they don't face temptation or they don't go through temptation or they don't have struggles at all, never have a temptation, or it's not really, they're not being honest, okay? I remember I was confronting a gentleman years ago and something that I didn't know for sure, but I had some reason to be concerned, and he basically denied having any kind of temptations at all, you know? And I said, well, you're smoking a cigarette right now. It shows me you're not immune to some kinds of struggles in your life, you know? And not that that was, you know, I wasn't saying that's a sin, you know, it's unpardonable sin, but I was just letting him know because I didn't think he was being honest when I was trying to lovingly confront him, you know? And then... Not too long later after that, maybe six months or so, he was in prison because of not only sin, but that which even the world considers a very serious crime. Uh, we can't let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And 
this isn't just for those who think they stand. Paul obviously knows he stands, and he beats his body down so he doesn't fall into temptation, into sin. Now, it's been said that you cannot keep birds from flying around your head. If they're going to fly around your head, you're going to have a hard time stopping them if there's a lot of them anyway. But you can stop them from building a nest, right? Amen. Everyone's going to be tempted. But you don't have to allow your life to become a life whereby you allow Satan to build a nest in your brain. Amen? So it's very important that we understand this. So he says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, Lambano, but uh, such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So it's important that we, I want to break some of this down. Uh, I almost made this into a two-part message today. I thought, no, I'm going to get it, Lord, help me get it all in, get done at a good time with you guys as well. And because uh, I really want this, the whole, go through the whole verse to a degree. And that means I can't camp out as much as I'd like to on certain parts. But I want to talk about, you know, we, we've seen the context, you know, the context is talking about idolatry, lust for evil things, uh, complaining, uh, I, you know, immorality, temptations Christians face, uh, you know, even you know, l- tempting Christ when you go through the chapter. Okay? You not, don't, can't tempt him, but that's a King James. But testing him, putting God to the test, you know, in, a, in an unbiblical uh, way where you're basically saying, I'm not going to do this unless you do this, God. You know, as though you're God and you decide the terms and so forth and what have you. Uh, but anyway, it's interesting because that's the context. Because I'm not going to go through all the verses that talk about how the Israelites fell. We've done that uh, in the previous messages. But we need to learn the lessons that the Lord wants us to learn. And we are, all are going to face temptation. In fact, Webster's Dictionary defines temptation uh, to tempt to entice to do wrong by promise of pleasure for gain. To entice to do wrong by promise of pleasure or gain. So that's very much like the Greek word parosmos, which is the Greek word that, you know, I don't usually quote English dictionaries because the New Testament is written in Greek and the Old Testament in Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic. But sometimes it's helpful, especially when the words have very similar meanings. And that's actually a pretty good temptation uh, because temptation basically is a promise that you'll get something good for doing something bad. That's what temptation is. It, it promises you you get something good out of it if you do something bad. And by way of bad, when we're talking about temptation biblically, we're talking about breaking God's moral law. And, and it's a lie because you might get a good feeling, but ultimately what you get is not really good. There's, there's there, Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about how he endured, right? He didn't go back and he didn't decide that, hey, I'm going to be Pharaoh's, you know, live in Pharaoh's court as a, as a son of Pharaoh. But he suffered the reproach of Christ, esteeming Christ as higher and the reproaches of Christ as higher than the passing pleasures of sin. And, and as Christians, we've we got to be honest. There's pleasure in sin. Sin is fun, to one degree or another, depending on what sin it is. Everybody faces different temptations. So it's important that we understand when we face temptation that Satan is the father of lies. And we have to understand that the package offers a promise that you get something good when you do something bad. But in the, in the reality, that something bad brings destruction. It brings death. It brings heartache. And it's, it's, sin is never, ever worth it so it's important to understand what we're dealing with and and when he says sin or he says temptation is common to man common to man some how many of you think sometimes you know, a lot of new christians are becoming new christians like why am i going through this why, why am i being so tempted I, I'm, I'm not saved i thought i became a christian now i'm facing all this temptation what's going on in my life you know and Usually that's a good indication that you just became a Christian, <laughs> you know, because the enemy is really ticked off and he is after you now 
And you become acutely aware of what sin is when you get saved. Because now you have the Holy Spirit who has convicted you of your sin and brought you to knowledge of the truth. And now you have the spirit of truth in you and his moral law is written on your hearts, not only already through the conscience, but also by the power of the Holy Spirit now resurrecting your conscience to become aware of his moral law. And then the spirit of truth begins to get you, give you an understanding of God's word and you become acutely aware of what sin is. And you become sensitive because the Holy Spirit is now grieved who lives in you when you sin and fall short of God's glory. You grieve the Holy Spirit. And this is important to understand how this dynamic works. So it's interesting because when you get saved and you're saying, why do I feel tempted? And then you're like, what, what, am I the only one that's going through this? And it's no. You know, God has no pets, okay? Contrary to what Joe Pirro sometimes says about me. You know, <laughs> I've got out too many tickets, so sometimes he says, you're God's pet. <laughs> but he knows better. He knows that God has no partiality. Amen? There's no partiality with God. And, but he does, if you draw close to him, he'll draw close to you. When we read in the Gospel of John about the disciple whom Jesus loved, God so loved the world, it says in John as well. John chapter 3, verse 16, amen? amen. But John's the apostle that Jesus loved. And it's like, how did he love him? Well, John pressed in to know the Lord. Amen? And if you press in to know the Lord, you'll be you'll have the manifestation of his love. He loves all the world. He gave his son for the whole world, but he loves the church in a special way, amen? We're his bride, amen? And you love your bride more than you love, he loves the world in the sense that he ministers that salvific love to them because they've received it and accepted him and his love. Now, it's interesting. Because, so as his children, though, it's interesting that uh, since he doesn't have pets, temptation is common to all of us. You know, we all face it, and we all have to make sure we understand, especially if you're a newer believer, that, yeah, you're going to have temptation. Uh, if you read the parable of the sower, I mean, you see after people get saved, they, in the, you know, people get saved, they get excited, then they, oh, they go get baptized, you know, and as a testimony of their salvation, you know, and I believe you're saved prior to baptism. We just did a whole message on baptismal regeneration uh, in one of our podcasts that will be airing this week. I'm not sure what day it aired. It may, may, have, may have already aired uh, this week. But you can still find it on, on our Good Fight site. We just got into, many believe that, that you're not saved till you're baptized. And we did get, get into that. But what happens is, is people get saved, and after they get saved, and, or, and then they even get baptized, and they're just excited, and they face these temptations, they kind of trip out sometimes. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do, you to do. He wants you to think that you're a special case. You're like, why, why do all these, where, where do these bad thoughts come from? And why am I struggling with these things? And you might think you're like an abnormal Christian for just having temptation when the reality is that temptation is very real for every believer to one degree or another. Now, it depends also whether you accept that into your life or not, you know? Sometimes you're in a pickle and you're like, oh, I can deal with this situation because it's not that bad. And then you just can't turn the thing off, you know. And then you just, but there's always an exit. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit because Paul talks about the ekbasis. He talks about with the temptation, God also gives you a way of escape. Ekbasis is the Greek word. And the word ekbasis is used of a home or a building or a house which has an exit. So when there's a problem... Instead of getting frustrated and upset, you could just say, I'm just going to walk out the exit, you know? And that's how temptation works. Temptation works the other way, where you're trapped. you got to do, oh, come on, you really want to do this. But God always gives us an ekbasis. He always gives us a way out. John and I talked about doing this before the service, so. No, I'm kidding. We didn't. <laughs> and if you're watching my live stream, there was a great brother. He's an awesome brother. I've never seen, but he could not. I, he must have a new cover or something on his cell phone. He could not turn off his cell phone after it came on for about 30 seconds. So he hit the ekbasis. Good move. Because he could still be going through it right now. And people could be tempted to get upset or whatever. And others could be merciful and say, that could happen to any of us. Now, it's interesting. In Luke chapter 8, when you have the parable of the sower, you have these four soils that Jesus talks about. Each soil represents four different hearts. Like four different types of hearts within humanity. And 
Jesus talks about how the sower, the farmer, went out to sow his seed. And when he went out to sow his seed, there was different results in the different plots of soil. And in verse 11 and 12 of Luke chapter 8, it says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So the seed represents God's word. Amen. Those beside the road are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. And this was basically his commentary on seed that was sown on the roadside, and then the birds came and took it before it took root. It never had any life, never came to life, never regenerated, never a picture of somebody being born again. That's a lot of people. They hear the word of God, you know, and then he comes, Satan comes and takes it. And that's why... The Bible says of Satan in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that he's a God of this world who blinds the minds of those that believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, whose image of God should shine to them. So Satan is, you know, perpetrating a lie not to put your trust in Christ, not to seek salvation, not to be saved, that you don't need to be saved. You're not really a sinner. I mean, sin has been removed from the English vocabulary for the most part, right? And Satan's very good at doing that because he wants, because if you're not a sinner, then you don't need a savior. But we all deep down know we've blown it. So people that have guilt and know they've blown it, well, we talk about guilty consciences and the world suffers from a guilty conscience because everybody's guilty. But there's ways they try to get away that, well, it's just kind of this Freudian thing, you know, or they try to get around it with vain philosophies. Now, it's interesting because the next soil genuinely believes for a time, verse 13, those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear the, they hear I mean, they hear the word, they receive the word, they receive that seed with joy. They're even excited about receiving the Lord. And these have no firm root. They're not firmly rooted. And they believe for a while, they do believe for a while, and in time of temptation, there's a temptation, they fall away. Okay? That's why you want to be firmly rooted in the gospel. Amen? And there's so many people that profess Christ and get excited and they're either milky and they're babes in Christ and they just don't get rooted and they're in danger. And that's what Hebrews 5 and 6 are about. It talks about those who are dull of hearing and they're babes in Christ, but they ought to be teachers by now. He can't give them solid food. And then he, in chapter 6, it's one of the strongest warnings against falling away. So temptation, but you notice this, after they receive the word with joy, what happens? They face temptation. And then this third soil also faces some temptation uh, in verse 14, the seed which fell among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with the worries. So worry can be a temptation. Satan wants you to worry about things rather than trust in Christ. And riches, riches can become a temptation and a snare, has for, been for millions of people for thousands of years. And the pleasures of this life, you know, may don't have to not be riches, there not be worries, it could be, hey, you know what? I just want to go sit at the beach all day, every week, all week, and every month, and all year, or wherever, and just live for pleasure, you know, or just play video games all day, and all night, and all day, and all night, and never seek the Lord, and never cry out to Him, never come to know Him, or when you've come to know Him, allow those things to choke out your excitement for the Lord to where you're no longer trusting Him and following Him, where He's no longer first in your life. I love verse 15 in Luke chapter 8 because it talks about that fourth soil, the believer who perseveres in the faith, verse 15, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So they receive the word, but they hold it fast with perseverance. He emphasizes two things, holding the word fast, I'm holding on to it. And they don't just hold it tight, they do it with perseverance. Remember, Jesus says, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. They continue to hold on to the word. Jesus says in John chapter, 15, John chapter 8, verse, I believe verse 51, he that keeps my word, keeps my word, shall never see death. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about, obviously, spiritual death. Those who keep his word. Now, there is a war for your soul. Temptation is real. Twice, at least, in the New Testament that I've found, Satan's called the tempter, Okay? And many scriptures talk about him tempting. You go to Genesis chapter 3. From the very get-go, you see that we have this very serious enemy. And 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, 
which wage war against the soul. So these fleshly lusts wage war against our souls. Satan is our mortal enemy. He's against us, and he wants to destroy our souls. And temptation, therefore, is common to all of us. It doesn't matter your, how spiritual you think you are. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your position, your job, your career. It doesn't matter. None of those things matter. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to face temptation. And none of us are immune to temptation. So, as Shakespeare wrote in his play, Julius Caesar, Oh, Marcus, a colossal child, able to conquer the world, but unable to resist a temptation. People could write like that because they knew, whether they were Christians or not, that temptation is very real. And First Peter, Peter learned his lesson. Remember when Paul says that him who thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall? The one guy that comes to my mind mainly in the Bible, when I see that, passage and I start thinking of an illustration of that is the Apostle Peter. Remember? They all may deny you, Lord, I will never deny you. I'm ready to go to prison and death with you. Remember that? I have a message I've been working on, which I'm going to preach Sunday, which is on temptation as well, but it's dealing with Peter. And 10 steps to apostasy, the steps he took. I've did a message like that in the past or two, but I've lengthened my uh, my steps to 10 now, okay? Not my steps, Peter's steps. But uh, they're great lessons, great lessons because each step has a lesson. There's application as to what we do in our own lives to make sure we, do the op- we step the opposite direction, amen? So I'm excited to share that with you. But Peter talks about how we're to be humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God in First Peter because Peter's now preaching and strengthening his brethren because Jesus says, I pray that your faith will not fail when you're converted or restored, strengthen your brethren. And that's why I love First and Second Peter because he's spending his time by the Holy Spirit strengthening his brethren so they won't fall like he did. God, Lord knew he would fall. He knew that he would get back up too and, and that he would be restored. And he also knew that he'd be using him to write those letters out of the depths of his pain, sadness, agony, and joy of being restored and watching his brethren so Peter, though, says in verse 9, after he talks about being sober, being vigilant for your adversary, the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In verse 9, he says, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering, catch that? Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Guess what? Peter's saying, hey, the same sufferings that you're going through, it's happened to the Christians throughout the world. And the same temptations that you're facing. And in America, we don't suffer persecution yet like a lot of, the world, a lot of Christians in the world have. Amen? Amen. But guess what? We, all, we do face assaults from the devil that are very severe. And sometimes they're a lot harder to have victory over in some ways. Why? Because the psalmist prays, Lord, don't give me too little to where I'm tempted to steal. But don't give me too much where I forget you. And we've got too much often, many people. They've got so much at their fingertips. That's why it's harder for rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, Jesus said, because riches make you have a sense of security and that you face so many temptations that can keep you from looking at the big picture and doing the spiritual math and realizing your life's a vapor, you're going to die real quick, actually, related to eternity, and actually getting right with God. And then when the disciples said, well, how can anybody get into the kingdom? Then Jesus said, all things are possible with God. Praise God for that. Amen. Now, there are three fundamental ways that you could deal with temptation. One way is to just Give into it, you know. If it feels good, do it. Everybody's doing it, just, you know, just do it. Just fall into sin. That's what the world does. Dead fish float downstream. It's the, the living dead. The Bible calls them the living dead. I don't know the Lord. Spiritually dead. Or number two, the second way you can do a temptation is fight it in your own strength. Man, in my own strength, I can have victory. I'm just going to build up the strength and the courage and, and, and just, you know, know how to deal with it and I'm just going to have the inner strength to you know just deal with it and overcome it 
Like the little boy that climbs up under his mama's cabinet and finds the hidden cookie jar. And is sticking his hand in the cookie jar. And he hears his mom and he's like, and she's like, are you stealing a cookie? And he says, no, mom, I'm trying not to steal a cookie, you know. And we could try in our own strength, but we're not going to really have victory that way. Amen. Then the third way to face temptation is to seek to overcome it through the light of God's word. Amen. And the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. And that comes from having a love. You've got to have a love for God's word. You gotta say, man, I'm not all focused on everything else. I'm focused, I want to be focused on God's word. And I want to be filled with his Holy Spirit and, and, and excited about his truth. So we have three main enemies that we face when we face temptation. There's three main catalysts or three main origins, so to speak, of these temptations. And one is an external foe. We have an external foe that is always militating against us and our faith, and that's the world, the world system. The world system is, how many of you have recognized that your faith is in conflict, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for him, your love for his word, is in conflict with the system of the world that we live in? Isn't that evident? It's quite evident. In fact, listen to what the scriptures say about this external foe, the world system. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and you could go there if you want. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the course of this world. Now, there's a couple interesting Greek words there, uh, but the word world is interesting there. It's cosmos. It says, you walked according, this is when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world. This is what we used to do. We used to walk according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, that's Satan. Among them, you too all formerly lived in the lust of, we lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So we used to be going downstream, dead in our trespasses and sins. We were children of wrath because we indulged in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the mind. And in doing so, we were antagonistic to the Lord. In doing so, before we were believers, we were all sons of disobedience. We were under the power of Satan before we knew Christ, who was influencing us to do evil. And we were part of that system to one degree or another. Now, it's interesting because when the Bible uses the word world there, the Greek word is cosmos. The Greek word there is cosmos. And... Uh, and it means that an order of arrangement, order of arrangement. It's an interesting Greek word. So it doesn't always mean just world. It can speak, cosmos can be used of the world. But it's talking about the order of arrangement in the evil world system in this context. In fact, it, it speaks cosmetics. It comes with the word cosmos. A woman who arranges the order of her face, you know, puts different, you know, different makeup on and so forth. And to, to arrange what she wants her face to be, how she wants to be accented, and so forth. So you have the word cosmos, but in this context, talking about the order of the evil world system. And when he uses the word course of this world, we, walk, we used to walk according to the course of this world. The word course in the Greek comes from the, the root word of that is from a weather, is weather vane, okay? Weather vane or wind vane. What we used to call wind vanes. You see a wind vane on a barn, right? And what does a wind vane do? It points in whatever direction what? The wind is blowing. So what he's saying is we used to walk according to the way the wind was blowing in the evil world system according to the arrangement of that evil world system, the cosmos. The popular fads of this world. Don't just jump on board when something becomes popular in the world and think you've got to have it, you've got to do it, you know? Now, legalism would say never do anything that's happening in the world at all, but we test what's good and evil by the word of God, amen? Okay, so if someone says, bowling, people in the world bowl. Well, people in the world go to the bathroom too, okay? I mean, you got to stop doing that. But the Bible is very clear. We go by the word of God. There's very, but you've got you to be honest, though, and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and God's word because there is a lot of evil in the world that we as Christians 
aren't to participate in the evil that's in the world. Amen? We've been chosen out of the world. It's important to understand that. There's a lot of, there's evil move, movies with, with, you know, por pornographic. Does God want us watching that? No. It's very clear in the scripture. There's a lot of evil music that's anti-Christ. God doesn't want us to be into that. Amen? There's a lot of evil ideologies and philosophies that the world system adheres to. Godlessness, Darwinism, for instance, nihilism, all sorts of different belief systems that are godless and, and, and demonic. The Bible talks about doctrines of demons and seducing spirits. And they're basically the spirits that are working through the sons of disobedience under the power of Satan as he garners and produces a flow in the world that's contrary to Christ. I mean, just think. I mean, think about the world around us. It's like we shake our heads. We can't believe it. There's a spirit behind the evil that's in the world. I mean, how many of you, you know, a lot of the, you know, quote, unquote, the phrases popular right now, fake news. You'll see, how could people just believe that without checking the facts on something and just run like a mob kind of rules? You know, how kinds of people defund the police, destroy all the police departments. Then we'll have peace. Really? You know, and they want to take away your guns <laughs> so you can't protect yourself and defund the police. And that's a recipe for anarchy, okay? And that's the spirit of a lot of this world. Romans 13 tells us that God's given us a government to, to suppress evil, amen? However, we have to be careful too because governments can also turn on God and oppress Christians, and we don't support that which is anti-Christ, but you have to submit to, Paul even had to, and Peter told us to submit to Rome, but not to their evil dictates. You can't preach the gospel, we're preaching it anyway. It doesn't matter what you say. Amen. Even if we have to go to prison, we're going to preach the word. Even if our heads are lopped off, we have to preach the word. So we always go by God's word, amen? That's, that's, we've got to uh, adhere to God's word, but we have to watch out for the world's values their vain philosophies, their godless ideologies, and all these different things that are pushed in the world system and not become part of them. Amen? So, as we look at these various scriptures and think them through, it's important that we understand that we don't garner this attitude of lawlessness, which is very apparent in the world right now. You've seen it? It's on the news all the time. And it's being glorified. There'll be riots and people going into a department store totally ripping it off together as a mob and some of the media will call it oh these are demonstrations really i think that's called thievery you know i think people are using certain things that are happening as an excuse to rip other people off and we're trying to and and we want to just relabel everything abortion isn't a murder it's a choice oh it's not a baby it's a fetus even though fetus means baby but you know it's a shell game that people play. And then you have 60 million dead babies in our nation via child murder, which is acceptable by most people in the country. That's just a blow mind. And that's the spirit of the age that we live in, the, 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 the spirit of lawlessness. So there is a world system, and we have to resist those temptations. How do you resist the temptations that come by way of our external foe, the world? You recognize that we're no longer to think according to how the world thinks, that we're called to be separate from the evil world. Jesus said, I've chosen you out of the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is of the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And those that love the world are passing away. Don't love it. Because the world's passing away, he says, and those who love the world are passing away. But it goes on to say, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So there's a lust of the flesh, a lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Which were all happened in the Garden of Eden, by the way. There was a desire for the, the fruit, you know. But then there was the pride of life, you know. Because it would it'd make us, she'd become God, right? Lust the eyes, lust the flesh, lust the eyes that look good. Lust the flesh, you know. It would, it would taste good and it, it would make her like God. And that's what the world offers all those things. Lust the flesh, lust the eyes. And the pride of life. And Satan's game hasn't really changed. But we can have victory. First and foremost, it comes through becoming a Christian. Amen? And in, in, uh, I love Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, 
By his divine power, he has given us everything we need for a godly life. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to go to a shrink to have a godly life, to be successful in Christ. His, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now listen to this. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. Listen. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped. Listen. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So the corruption we see all around the world. It's caused by greed and all kinds of evil desires. Right? But through the knowledge of Christ and his precious promises. We as believers have escaped the corruption of the world that's been corrupted through evil desires. So first of all, you need to be born again. That gives you a huge leg up on the temptations of the world. Then you need to continue to live and walk in faith. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Amen? So keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your trust in Jesus. And put Jesus first, and then you won't put the world Remember that old song we used to sing? Let's press on in the name of the Lord. Da, da, da. I'm going to sing at that fast speed with the record table. You know? But it's you know, the, the cross before me, the what? Anybody remember that? The world, me. the world behind me. Amen. The cross before me, the world behind me. So we have this external foe that we're at war with, the world system that we live in. When we talk about the world system, we're not talking about planet Earth. We're not talking about all of humanity even. We're talking about the evil world system that Satan energizes and by way of those, by energizing that world, he brings all kinds of temptations our way through, as I said, a lot of the popular music and the popular fads. So we have to be wary of, wary of that as believers. And the Bible talks about this doctrine of separation. We need to be separate from the world. Amen? And unfortunately today, there's not a whole lot of people that are separate from the world. Listen to Romans 12. This is another way. That get vi- now I'm talking about getting victory over three main foes. How do you get victory over the world? Listen to this, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2a. With eyes wide open, Romans 12, 1, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, meaning recognizing what God has had mercy on you. He's forgiven you. You deserve, I deserve, we all deserve to be doomed, amen? With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, this is Philip's translation. I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, okay, or reasonable worship, to give him your bodies, as a living sacrifice, that's reasonable, since he made you, since he died to save you, since he's prepared a place for you, since you'll stand before him and spend eternity in one place or the other, but if you're following Jesus in heaven, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, consecrated to him, consecrated to him, and acceptable by him, then listen, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But the scripture goes on to say, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen? So you overcome the temptations of the world by not allowing, saying, no, I'm not going to allow the world to squeeze me into making me look like everybody else and do what everybody else is doing. When the world's going down the broad road to hell, I'm going the opposite direction of the narrow road to life. Amen? James 4, 4, it says, you adulteresses. No, it's not about spiritual adultery there. No, you're not that friendship with the world's enmity with God. Whoever therefore makes himself a friend of the world, talking about the evil world, makes himself an enemy of God. That's just, that's clear scripture. Scriptures that a lot of people don't even like to look at or quote, but it's truth. It's, it's God's word, and we need to praise him for his word. That it gives us such warnings. So, the Lord's given us victory over the world through our faith. Amen. We've escaped the curse of the world, it says. And what else? We now are to make a concerted decision in our hearts to continue to trust the Lord and not be conformed to the evil world and let it squeeze us into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the Bible says that we're to have the mind of Christ. Amen? Amen. That means you have a mind that is filled with Scripture, that is filled with the Word of Christ, where that seed that you've received, that salvation, continues to grow in you, whereby you become more and more like Jesus. Amen? Amen? We want to become more and more like Christ. Now we have another foe, huge foe, and that's the uh, flesh. We have an external foe, the world. We have an internal foe. That's the flesh. And man, I said one message right on this. Lord, help me. 
Okay, I've taught on the flesh more recently in the last months a bit here and there, so I'll get through the flesh pretty quick. But when we're talking about the flesh, we're not talking about just your physical body, okay? Physical body, we're created by God, amen? When we're resurrected, we'll have physical bodies. Your physical body isn't evil. But the word flesh, sarks in the Greek, often is used of that sinful nature, that Adamic nature, that the first man rebelled against God. Adam, we inherit that sin principle within our flesh. You know, Paul talks in Romans chapter 7 about how he was before he got saved, before he came to Christ, before he turned to Jesus, and how he's under this battle under the law, and he can't win the battle. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things I do want to do, I can't do. He has no power. Who will save me from this body of death? Because he's talking about the flesh. He says, thanks be the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then in Romans chapter 7, or 6, right before that, and chapter 8, like bookends, they give you the victory over the flesh. What I find ironic is a lot of people want to camp out in Romans 7 and say, oh, this is the Christian life. And they never get, to, they, they forget Romans 6, they don't get to Romans 8. That's the victory. And we need to be having victory over the flesh. In fact, the word sarks often is translated when it's talking about this, the, the aspect of humanity that's fallen, whereby that principle of inherited sin lives in us. That word sarks, in the NIV, if you have the New International Version, it often translates the word flesh, sinful nature, okay? Uh, that, that fits often because he's talking about that fallen nature. When we're saved, we don't, when we become Christians and we turn to Jesus, we don't all of a sudden lose the sinful nature. It's not like it's eradicated and gone and now we're, we're Christians and there's no more battle with the flesh. Paul does talk about a battle similar to Romans chapter 7, but it's the, not under the law before Christ, it's following Christ. And it talks about the flesh is at war with the spirit, and the spirit is at war with the flesh. So now we're not in Romans 7 where Paul's trying to keep the law. We're not under the law, that's legalism. We're not trying to keep the law of Moses, that's what Paul's talking about. We are in Galatians 5 though, and there's a battle between the Holy Spirit in us and our flesh. And that's where he gives a list of vices and says, if you practice these things, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But he begins that section in chapter 5 before he gets to verses 19 through 21 which gives a list of the the flesh and the things of the sinful nature that if you practice them he says you know for certain i mark my words he says as i I warned you before those who practice these things will not inherit god's kingdom well right before he says that he says he talks about this battle between the two but right before he talks about the battle before the two he talks about walk in the spirit walk in the spirit and you will not what fulfill the desires of the flesh and then, like bookends, at the end, when he stopped, when he, when he transitions from talking about the works of the flesh that would destroy us and keep us from the kingdom, he goes on to say in verse 22 and 23, you know, he talks about, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and peace and joy and longsuffering and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control. Against such there is no law. Then in verse 24, he says, uh, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and desires. What does that mean? It means when you became a Christian, you took up the cross and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm no longer going to walk down that broad road to destruction and be in rebellion to God. But it doesn't mean you were perfect. It doesn't mean that there's not a battle with the flesh still. There's a real battle going on. But you have to walk in the Spirit and continue. Just as you listen to the voice of the Spirit when God called you to salvation, turn to Jesus, you need to continue to walk in the Spirit every day now. And in Romans chapter 8, he talks about that victory. Right after Romans 7, he says, we're not debtors to the flesh in chapter 8, verse 12, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you, through the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, do mortify, kill, crucify the deeds of the body, you will live. So the sarks is not the body itself per se, but that principle that uses the physical body uh, for evil. And then we, we learn in Romans Chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order, this is before chapter 7, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who died is freed from sin. But guess what? There's a choice you have to make. Verse 19 of the same chapter. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, just as you used to do that, resulting in further lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Amen. So we have this Adamic nature. But guess what? Guess where your victory begins again when you become a Christian? If anyone be in Christ, he is a 
new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, all things become new. When you were first born again and regenerated, there was a newness that took place. Now the scriptures tell us to continue to grow in that salvation. And Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 talks about putting away the old man. That's the biblical language, the old man for who we used to be. All the evil things we were before we were Christians, we're called to put those things away now. That is in reference to your former manner of life, Ephesians 4.22. That in reference to your former manner of life, your past life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There it is. Your mind's being renewed now. Put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we're being made in the likeness of God again. We're being recreated into the image of Christ. Amen? And that's a beautiful thing. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with his evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. This is incredible, man. We have this incredible God who loves us so much he gave his son, but he's make, remaking us into the image. We're being remade in the image of our creator. That's a blow mind. That blows away the world that's passing away. Blows away following the flesh, which just gets you in trouble and ruins relationships and ruins life and uh, ruins what things ought to be. So we have this external foe, which is the world. We have this internal foe, which is our flesh. But we also have an infernal foe. And the infernal foe is Satan. And Jesus said he's the father of lies. He's very real. Many of you, I've, I've tell people, raise your hands. Don't do it now. If you've ever had demonic encounters with with demonic intelligences, dark forces. And everywhere I go, whenever I say that, a lot of hands go up. It's very real. It's, it's part of history. When you read history and you read various civilizations, there is a spiritual world that is dark. And the Bible talks about it. And there is a satanic rebellion that God has allowed to be manifested among us. And we're being tested, parasmos, to see who we're going to follow. So we need to understand that we have this spiritual enemy. Now, when you think about all this, it's pretty hairy. Because when you get the world, the external foe, that's all animated by the demonic entities and it's just an evil system and evil desires, then you have the flesh. And by the way, the flesh all by itself is capable of leading you into destruction. When James talks about temptation, he says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own evil desires. And then when temptation is conceived, you have sin. And when sin is done, you have death. Let no one be deceived, my beloved brethren. It brings death. That's what life of sin brings. But in contrast, chapter 1, verse 12, right before the verse I just started quoting, blessed is the one who endures temptation, for after he has been tried, he will receive the crown of life. Amen? So we want to choose life. But, so we have the world, we have the flesh, and we have the devil. So you've got the world, man. That's tempting. Then you've got the flesh. Ooh, that's tempting. Now you got Satan, who's smarter and more powerful than each of us. And just get him involved. That's like pouring gasoline on a fire, man. He says, we're done if we don't have Jesus. But praise God, the Bible says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And that if God is before us, who could be against us? And that we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Amen. So you have to look to Jesus. You have to look to Jesus. Now, back to verse 13. No temptation, the Greek word parasmas. Uh, that word can be translated temptation or trial, depending on the context, because it actually, every trial comes with a temptation. Otherwise, it would not be a trial. Every temptation for the believer is a trial, too. See? I mean, look at Job. Did Job go through a trial or who was tempted? It was both. His trial was a huge temptation, and his huge temptation was a huge trial. That's, that's why it's two-sided coin, parasmos, an interesting Greek word. And it, it is, we use like two different words, trial and the word temptation, to emphasize one or the other. That word, parasmos, is used for either or and means actually both. And each nuance can be brought out depending on how you experience it. And oftentimes we think of trial as our external things we face and, and temptation as something that's internal, but actually they're woven together in interesting ways. So... Uh, we have a very real enemy who comes to steal, Jesus said, kill, and destroy. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar. Didn't remain in the truth, Jesus said. He's a father of lies. So he was the one who promised you something good if you do something bad, if you break God's moral law. 
And by doing so, he's trying to destroy relationships. He comes to still kill and destroy. He's trying to destroy your relationships with people. He's trying to destroy your relationship with God. He's trying to destroy your life. He's trying to destroy your soul. It's not worth it, man. That's why we want to hate sin and recognize we have a spiritual enemy. And we have to, how do we get victory over him? The Bible says, we already talked about victory over the world, right? Not being conformed to it. Being transformed. Having the mind of Christ. We talked about victory over the flesh. Walking in the Spirit. Amen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Being, being prayerful and saying, God, give me your strength. Empower me. Amen? And, and putting off the old man. Putting on the new man. Amen? And continue to be like, become more and more like Jesus. What about the devil? How do you overcome him? The Bible says resist him. And this is in the context of temptation in James chapter 4. Resist him. And he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen? It's also in the context of 1 Peter where he talks about resist him steadfast in the faith. So resist him by opposing his will for you and resist him in the faith. Paul said you should resist him by putting on the whole armor of God. Amen? Taking out the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen? Remember how Jesus had victory over Satan? Three different times Satan said, do this, do that, do this. And all three times Jesus quoted the word of God. If the Son of God is quoting Scripture to get victory, how much more do we need to stay in Scripture? And how can you quote Scripture or understand Scripture? Or how can the Holy Spirit bring it to remembrance if you're not in the Scripture? Amen? Amen. So it's, that's why you want to meditate on God's Word day and night. You want to be a man or a woman of the Word of God. Amen? People of the Word. So, and when temptation comes to you, it says, back to verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you, Lombano, but that which is common to man. We talked about that, and God is faithful. He's good, guys. He's, look at all the ways of escape he's already provided us. We've talked about this, that along the way, from the world and from the flesh, and from the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the wiles of the devil. So we need to put on the armor of the Lord. But such is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you, I love this, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. The Greek word able is from dunamai, which is from dunamis, which means power. God will give you and has given you as a Christian, because you have the Holy Spirit in you, the power to overcome sin. You don't have to fall into temptation. If you're trusting Jesus, well, guess what? If you're not trusting Jesus, then you're in Romans 7 territory, and you're just going to be whooped up on you're never going to have victory. You've got to be born again. Then when you're born again, guess what? Now you have to make a choice to walk in the Spirit. He's not going to force you, okay? He's, he's made a way of escape, an exit, an exit. So where if you are in a place of temptation, you can escape that temptation. There's always an bosses. You can never say, the devil made me do it. Yeah, people say that. I don't remember if you guys remember Flip Wilson when we were, that's when I was a kid, you know. Jimmy remembers him. Jimmy was already an adult then. You know, I'm just kidding, Jimmy. <laughs> just kidding, Jimmy. He's just a few years older than me. We're getting older now. You know what? It was the devil made me do it. That was part of his comedic act, you know? And a lot of people would say that. The devil made me do it. I could just it's too powerful. No, not if you choose Christ. There's always a boss because God is faithful, because God is good. Others say God made me do it. That's uh, Calvinism, you know? That every single thing is, pre in Calvinism, everything's predetermined. So God made me do it. I had one gal who was being a Calvinist being interviewed in Christianity Today, and she said she loves Calvinism because she could blame God for everything. No, you can't. You're held accountable still. And by the way, guess what? If 1 Corinthians 1, 10, 13 is true, which it absolutely is, it shows you that God doesn't make you do it. James chapter 1, God tempts no man, amen. Well, no, he doesn't tempt it, but he decrees everything to happen. That's even worse than being tempted then. Then you're forced to do it. You don't even have a choice. But the scriptures, look at 10, 13. It shows you there's an option where you don't have to sin. Do you understand that? It shows you that there is libertarian free will, that there is a choice that you can make. And that God is faithful and he is, makes you, he's faithful, I love this, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you, you are able, being empowered to do by his grace. And some look at that as a naturalistic grace that he's just given humanity. I don't believe he's talking about that because people in Romans 7 fall on their face like Paul did before as a believer. But I believe it's that he's talking to believers in the context of what he's given them in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can rely on God's Spirit. We have to look to Christ. To not look to Christ and look to your own strength is a temptation. You don't want to fall into that. You know, you don't want that to be part of your theology. But with, it, with the temptation, which is interesting, 
because he allows the temptation. With the temptation, he will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. He just makes it very clear. You are able to endure temptation. Don't fall into the two errors of the devil maybe do it. It's too powerful. There's no way I could have victory. Or God made me do it because it was just decreed and I had no choice. Wrong. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says to make a choice that God has given you and God does not want you to sin. I mean, Jesus died to pay for your sins. He hates sin. He died to pay for your sins. How much more does he want to strengthen you, right? To overcome sin and give you power to have victory over sin. So it's just awesome that he has given us this strength and this power over temptation and that he's faithful to empower us. Amen? So I just want to encourage each and every one of you that if you have a mindset that, well, I guess that's just part of the Christian walk is I just got to live a, no, you're going to have, it's part of the Christian walk to face temptation. It's not part of the Christian walk to just fall into each and every temptation. Amen. Sin should be the exception in your life, not the rule as a Christian. Amen. Now it can become normative in your life, but that's not the way of Christianity. That's not the way of Christ. You know, we're supposed to be walking in newness of life. Amen. But if you walk in sin and continue in rebellion against him, that's what Galatians 5 says, you know. Says, you know, do not be deceived. You know, God is not mocked. He that so that's in chapter 6 now, verse 7 through 8. Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. He that sows from the, to the flesh will from the flesh reap what? You're told that from the flesh you will reap corruption if you live according to the flesh. But if you through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit now in your life, do, you know, sow to the Spirit, says you will reap eternal life. So it says you reap what you sow. So what are you sowing? Anybody ever sow tomato seeds and get orange trees instead? No. You reap what you sow. So God wants you to sow to the Spirit. You, by being here today and making a choice, hey, I want to come here, I want to get in the Word of God. You're sowing to the Spirit, amen? That's strengthening your walk with God. That's, that's right there in itself because you're seeking God with me today and we're doing this together and you're, having, you're getting His Word and allowing it to be strengthening you. You're, you're gaining strength over temptation, amen? That's a beautiful thing. And it's hard. Franklin Graham, uh, he wrote a book called Rebel uh, with a Cause, an autobiography. And he wrote after he committed himself to Christ. Even though his dad was Billy Graham, he was in rebellion for years, a prodigal son of sorts. And uh, I'm not saying yay or nay on Billy Graham. There's you know, some concerns with, with some of the things he started saying later in his life. But uh, he wrote that after he committed to Christ, this is Franklin Graham, he was surprised that his taste for cigarettes became even stronger after he became a believer. And he was determined to quit. But three days after he awoke, he was absolutely overwhelmed with what, what was a terrifying desire to have a cigarette in his mind. And he wanted to smoke so bad, he said, that I couldn't think of anything else. It intensified with each passing minute throughout the day. The yearning for a cigarette grabbed me like the jaws of a junkyard dog. He finally shared a struggle with his friend Roy. Uh, and Roy said, uh, Roy, I quit smoking, but I don't think I can hold out any longer, he said, because I just don't think I have the power to say no any longer. Oh, you, you don't, huh? Replied Roy, looking up from a hamburger. Why don't you just get down on your knees and tell God that he's a liar? What? I can't do that. Roy quoted 1 Corinthians 10, 13 to him and then said, you need to tell, tell, uh, tell, tell him I'm going to call you God, God you're a liar because uh, I haven't, well, he says, you need to tell God he's a liar. You claimed that verse and it didn't work. I'm not going to call God a liar, said Franklin. Besides, I haven't claimed that verse yet. You haven't, said Roy, sounding shocked. Why don't you then? Franklin did claim that verse and it worked. Now, I don't like to use the term claimed personally. You know, but we do need to, guess what? Put our faith in God's word and act on it, amen? And say, that verse is for me, amen? amen. And I'm going to act on it. I'm going to trust God, amen? And if we find ourselves falling, it's never his fault. It's always on us, amen? But he is good because guess what? First John 2, verses 1 and 2, John says, I write these things that you don't sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the key, folks, is stay away from sin, avoid sin, resist temptation, pray, walk in the Spirit, amen? Don't be conformed to the world system. Deny the flesh, amen? And resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
And when you are tempted, don't think there's not a way of escape. Oh, it's just too much for me. No, he's provided a way of escape. He will enable you by the power of the Holy Spirit and to, to endure it, and he'll give you an exit plan where you'll be able to get out of it. You will not be forced to do evil. Even if you're tortured to deny Christ, your body will go in shock at a certain point by the grace of God. Amen? So there's all kinds of things that we could face as Christians, but you have to just trust the Lord and say, you know what? I'm going to trust him because he is faithful. Amen? He loves me so much he sent his son to die for me. Amen? And he's promised for those who look to him that he'll finish the good work that he's begun in them. Amen? Just look to Jesus in faith. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Father God, we thank you so much.